Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassan, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And I'm excited to share today's conversation, which is part of our Clinical Practice Guideline Implementation Series. Throughout this series, you'll be able to hear from pediatricians across the country, many of whom have been instrumental in developing the CPG, or who have been out there in practice and working on obesity care and treatment. Our hope is that you can listen to these conversations and be inspired to think about how you might be able to integrate or improve obesity care and treatment within your practice. Stay tuned. So I'd like to welcome everyone today to our podcast, and I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Claudia Fox. Claudia is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Minnesota and co-director of the Center for Pediatric Obesity Medicine at the University of Minnesota. And I'm delighted, Claudia, I know we have not had the opportunity to meet in person, but we're, uh, we're able to connect now by audio and video as we record the podcast, and I'm so delighted to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Sandy. It is a true pleasure to be here and to meet with you. Uh, it's been years. I've heard obviously so much about you, but never actually had the opportunity to meet or talk. So this is great. Yeah. So I, I welcome everybody as well to our conversation. And as our audience knows, I like to ask my guests how you got interested in taking care of children and families uh, with obesity. How did that start for you? Well, it started probably close to two decades ago now, after completing my residency in pediatrics, I worked in a community mental health clinic and had been taking care of kids with uh, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and became very interested in the role of physical activity and exposure to sunlight and impact of diet on their mental health and decided that I wanted to learn more about this. So I ended up going back to do a fellowship in academic general pediatrics, where I thought I want to explore this intersection of physical activity, nutrition, mental health. And it turned out that really that intersection at that intersection is obesity. And my uh, division director at the time, Dr. Sarah Jane Schwarzenberg, who is a gastroenterologist, had a very small budding management clinic where she saw kids a half a day a week. And so I started doing that. It's like, aha, that this was the, the light bulb. It all sort of connected in that experience. And so I ended up doing all of the clinics that I could. And over time, we really grew the clinic. We hired more dietitians, more clinicians. We became more sort of protocolized, if you will, about how we manage these kids. And uh, yeah, it has it's just sort of grown over time, especially as the need has grown. So Claudia, I don't think there could be a more perfect sort of Nidus for you starting when you recognized two decades ago the intersection of mental and behavioral issues with children and nutrition and physical activity and therefore how important that was all going to be to understanding uh, obesity treatment. And I know you have been very interested in that and in holistic treatment for children with obesity, but I also know you've been very interested in obesity 
medication for obesity. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened for you and where you are now in uh, thinking about obesity uh, medication and the context of that in treatment? Yeah, so for sure, the most effective approach to caring for kids with obesity is that holistic approach addressing their entire way of life, their eating, their activity, and their mental health. But very often, as much as we try to improve those, that underlying biology is so, so strong that trying to change your activity or or mood without addressing that biology directly with pharmacotherapy just becomes so difficult and it's like hitting your head against the wall. Kids and families and the clinician teams are working so hard to make improvements and yet biology rears its ugly head and really gets in the way. Um, and, And the way I got into pharmacotherapy was sort of happenstance. I had been My nurse care coordinator happened to also be the nurse care coordinator for the adult weight management clinic. And in particular, not just any adult weight management provider, but Dr. Charles Billington, who is a past president of NASA, which was like the old word for the obesity society. So this guy had been around the block a lot. And so I would hear from our nurse care coordinators who would say, well, Dr. Billington might try this medication or Dr. Billington might try that medication. And so I started dabbling using uh, medications that are FDA approved in kids like topiramate, yet for other indications and became much more uh, familiar and comfortable in using the medications. And then when I see the result, it's like, wow, that is really where I, I feel like that was the missing piece of treatments, if you will. So it's not, it's a part of the treatment. It is certainly not the entire treatment. So Claudia, if there, there are many people that are interested in using obesity pharmacology, but don't know where to get started or even how to get started. And not everybody was as lucky as you to have sort of an adult model that you could even look to or ask Dr. Billingsley something about it if you needed to. How do you think people could get started and dip their toe in the water with obesity pharmacology? Well, there are many, many, many um, educational opportunities uh, that are available uh, right now. Lectures, webinars, conferences, for sure. Uh, You know, Selfish Plug Center for Pediatric Obesity Medicine does put on a conference every year. Myself and many of my colleagues from around the country are, in fact, putting together a handbook on advanced therapies for pediatric obesity that details some of the protocols that we have developed over the years in terms that address when do you start using such a medication? How do you how do you start? What are the doses? What kind of response are you looking for? What are the potential side effects that you need monitored? Are there labs? Kind of the whole nine yards, sort of the nuts and bolts. I'd suggest that it might be easiest to pick one medication, one or two, that you feel somewhat comfortable with using and start with that. Perhaps in in kids who already have severe obesity, who may benefit the most from such medications, 
probably easiest to pick one or two. You can learn about it, try it in a patient, see how it goes. No, it's good advice. I think sometimes obesity treatment in general is so overwhelming to people that it's hard to know where should I even start. One of the things I think about a lot is, and this is why I asked the question of, of my guests, where did you get started? Because most of us got started by dipping our toe in the water and try, and just starting to take care of patients, starting to see what was possible, starting to gather our resources. It didn't, a program like yours and many across the country doesn't happen overnight. You had to build it piece by piece. And a lot of that depends on the resources that you have available. Do you have any tips for people who are thinking, how do I even gather my resources to, to do this? Because, you know, I, I, may, I may be in my office and I, I'm, by, I'm with my own little primary care team, but how do I, how might I start to, to think about resources that could help me? I think it helps to have a champion. If you are in a, say you're in a private practice group where there might only be four or five of you, if there is someone who can be your champion, it does help. And that champion could, for example, perhaps collect patient education materials around uh, dietary strategies that could be helpful. So you have them at the ready. That champion could identify some online physical activity videos that might be useful for patients. It might be that that champion could help identify dietitians in the community that you could partner with, where you might set up a meeting with that dietitian so that you're on the same page addressing, okay, these are the kinds of the things that I'm hoping my patients can learn. Can we partner together to help um, provide care for these families? Gathering, maybe you have, you know, one or two colleagues around the, the country who could serve as your sounding board when you are thinking about starting a medication. I know I've done this for several colleagues where they might say, hey, I have this patient. I'm texting you about this patient. Their BMI is this and this. What do you think about starting Topamax? What about this dose? Does that seem reasonable? So having some of those direct access, direct lines, if you will, to people who have that experience al already. And there are more and more of those people around the country who have been using pharmacotherapy and are willing and able to share their, their guidance and their expertise. Such good advice, Claudia. Uh, again, just a way to get started. I wanted to sort of look back at what you originally got interested in, which is the intersection of nutrition, physical activity, and mental behavioral health. And, you know, we know that we've experienced COVID and we've seen that intersection come to the fore. You know, mental behavioral health issues, nutritional issues, physical activity issues. How are you now sort of addressing that nidus of that intersection in your practice and even in your thinking? How are you thinking about that now? You know, COVID certainly has exacerbated obesity in our patients. But I, you know, I, I don't know that I'm not seeing actually so much difference in terms of diet and physical activity since COVID, but the mental illness part seems to have escalated quite considerably. We are seeing tons and tons of kids who are presenting with serious depression 
lots of suicidal ideation, lots of self-injurious behavior, and, and, and that certainly does impact their ability to successfully um, engage in weight management practices. And, and for many kids, it's just simply a complete barrier to being um, successful, so much to the point where you really need to address that mental health first before you can even think about talking about the activity or eating, you know, and it, so, so that might be your original focus for months before you even think about how am I going to modify my eating or activity might be that they're meeting with their psychologist, psychiatrist, getting therapy, working on finding the right psychotropic medication if needed. You know, that's so important. I often thought, and I would even say this to patients, you know, weight is often the caboose on the train. You know, we have to get a number of things lined up, whether it's, you know, your, you know, get you feeling better from your anxiety or your depression, get the family sort of functioning a little better. And so sometimes I think that we, we're anxious to help our patients with their nutrition and activity and the weight. But I think there has to be like some attention to those really fundamental building blocks. You have to be, have the bandwidth as a family and a patient actually exactly those things yeah right that bandwidth is is critical so sometimes i have patients who come directly from an inpatient psychiatric setting to the weight management clinic and i think wow is this really the right time for addressing weight management care i'm not sure and you know so for some patients it is and so i think one really important thing is to ask your patients directly, what are they hoping for? What, what is their goal in coming to the clinic in the first place? For some patients with depression and anxiety, they say they're able to um, articulate directly that it is their extra weight that's driving their depression. And that, you know, bottom line, they are convinced that if they can lose some weight, that their depression will lift and they are very motivated by that, by weight loss specifically. In which case, fine, great. But for other patients, it's not really that clear that just sort of the whole whole perspective is depressed and thinking about keeping a food log is like, oh my gosh, that is just not happening. In which case, fine, maybe we need to be put weight management on the back burner. Why don't you come back in three months and see, we'll reconnect, see where you are. Yeah. I think it's really important to see where the patient is. And you're always, I always felt that you're always, you're looking as a physician about at the patient's physical, mental, emotional, behavioral status. You might have your own anxieties about what has to happen. And the patient may have completely different ideas about where they want to start. And I always think that obesity is so complex and ties into so many things that it almost doesn't matter what thread you start to pull. Like if, if a patient comes in and they're, they're anxious or depressed and you start to help that, you're really pulling a thread that will eventually get you there exactly. to, to help weight. Is that, does that resonate with how you, you think about it? Absolutely. Everything is really interconnected, isn't it? Yeah. You know, sometimes our main goal is really just 
thinking about sleep. And we say we talk nothing about eating and activity, but we just need to get you sleeping at night and awake during the day. And that might be our first intervention. And it has nothing to do with energy in, energy out, if you will, directly. But so critical for establishing healthy weight management um, practices. You know, I'm thinking about patients who would come in and I ran a weight management clinic and they would be referred for their weight, but their biggest issue might be school performance. And so, you know, you work on, do you have undiagnosed ADD? Do you have sleep apnea? Do you, what is going on? How can we help your school performance? And through that, you do get to all the salient issues around weight. And I think that's really helpful for us to keep remembering because I always felt if I could help a parent and fam and patient solve a problem that they they came in with, that did two things. I helped them solve a problem and it built trust right. in our relationship. So they felt like, okay, I heard them. I was working on maybe that school issue. And then we could tackle the next issue. And then we built that relationship. You know, Claudia, as you have practiced a while now uh, in obesity medicine, how important how important do you think that relationship is with your patients? And I, it's kind of a loaded question because I, you know, I, I think we know it's important, but can you talk about that component of it? I'd say it's critical. It really is critical. Trust, transparency, and approaching families and patients with the utmost humility, I think will serve you very, very well in terms of that patient-provider relationship and then outcomes. Many families, parents are embarrassed. They feel shame. They feel blame from the community at large, thinking that they had somehow done something wrong. They are a bad parent because their child carries extra weight. And so understandably, many families don't want to talk about it, don't want to bring it up, yet are at the same time desperate for help and intervention. And so I often will start our appointments by describing that, you know, one thing I want to make sure that you take away from this appointment is that you understand that when a child carries extra weight, it is not your fault. It is not your child's fault. It is nobody's fault. At its core, carrying extra weight is a disorder of energy regulation. If you think about just like diabetes, it's a disorder of blood sugar regulation. Hypertension is a disorder of blood pressure regulation. Carrying extra weight is a disorder of your energy regulation system. And at, so fundamentally, it's a biological issue that happens to be primarily determined by your genetics. So it runs in families. So they can't help it that um, the kid has extra weight any more than they can help that the kid has blue eyes, for instance. That just runs in families. But that biology then is expressed in certain environmental settings. And so when you can describe that to a family, you can almost visibly see them be lax, like, oh, okay, she's not going to yell at me because I took my kids out to eat fast food yesterday. Every kid eats fast food, right? 
not every kid has obesity. Right. So, you know, I think um, really highlighting how weight is very much under our volitional control. You know, you can, it's kind of like breathing. You can control your breathing to a degree. You can hold your breath for a couple of seconds, but then those automatic mechanisms, that biology kicks in to force you to take a breath. Similarly with body weight, well, you know, you might be able to control your body weight a little bit with diet and exercise, but then eventually those automatic processes kick in that promote weight gain. And, you know, that's out of our control for the most part. That's that's sort of the argument I might make when I'm counseling about the use of pharmacotherapy. Well, Claudia, it resonates with me so much because for a long time, we didn't have much pharmacotherapy and we were using diet and nutrition and activity to try to move the weight. And sometimes you could, but that meant you had to concentrate on diet and activity 24-7, which is a really difficult thing to do. And the patients would come in and I would, I would explain, and I don't know if this is the best explanation, but I would say just because we're using diet, your nutrition and activity to help you doesn't mean that that's the only thing that caused this, right? right? It's a tool. It's the only tool. It's the tools we have. Fortunately, now we have more tools, but the patients would often think because we were talking so much about nutrition and activity to try to help them that that was sort of implying that that was the only causal mechanism. So I think your emphasis here on causation and the situation patients find themselves in and the fact that, you know, any of us who have tried to think about our nutrition and physical activity to move our weight, it is a 24-7 operation. And so you can understand if a patient is depressed or has trauma or is anxious that you can't, you don't have that bandwidth to spend on managing all your eating and your activity. And I would often say to families, you know, they come in and they might've gone through a stressful period and they feel badly that they, they gained weight. And I would say, you got through the stress, you know, you managed your way through the stressful situation. That's a good thing. We'll, we'll you know, I'm here. We will we will work on it. So I, I just love your explanation about how you're trying to contextualize this for the patients and remove the blame and guilt. To your point about the role of pharmacotherapy, it really, it does take, it makes it so much easier for them to adhere to their healthy eating and activity plans so that it doesn't occupy 100% of their bandwidth. It just make it's not that you can just throw healthy eating out the window if you're on medication. You could, but you won't have success, likely. We don't have those studies actually just yet. Um, they are in adults. But it's, it just makes it so much easier to adhere to the nutrition and physical activity recommendations. Yeah, and I think that's also a good, a good uh, contextualization for us when we think about medication use. That it's in the context, and uh, just like we think about managing, if a family will do it, managing the home environment. You know, if you have a healthy nutritional and physical activity home environment, that all you've removed so many triggers. You know, and and my objective was instead of 
having the patient have to make thousands of decisions a day. Like, can we just make that easier so you can, you know, have bandwidth, make the decisions you need to make and, uh, and, and sustain the effort because obesity is a chronic disease and the effort has to be sustained. I mean, you might do this for five or 10 days, but can you do this for five or 10 months? Can you do this over the years? Right. And, and we also need to be in tune with what kind of home environmental changes are reasonable. Mm-hmm. What can we expect or not expect? You know, nobody's perfect and everybody lives in this world and it is really hard for many families. And so I think, you know, we have to walk in our patient's shoes sometimes and think, okay, they're doing the best they can. They, yeah, they might still be eating out four or five times a week, but man, they this is who they are. And I know that adding medications to that setting is going to make it much, much easier for them to maybe cut down to three times a week. You know, it's we're not after perfection here. Um, we should not be gatekeepers, if you will, of pharmacotherapy because a kid's a family has not proven that they can do lifestyle therapy or are adherent to lifestyle therapy. Not at all. So, yeah, I think I think it's really meeting your patient. We're not, you know, we're not there, to, and we all know this, but we're not there to judge the patient. We're there to problem solve with the patient in the context of their life. And, you know, sometimes the most important question I could ask if a patient reports a behavior like I'm eating fast food fight, like, how is that working for you? You know, what's what's good about that in your life? People do things for reasons, you know, and it, it may be reasons that maybe it wouldn't be my reason, but it's your reason and it's a valid reason. So I, I really like uh, how you're framing this, that we're there to meet the patient where they are and provide uh, problem-solving help in starting from from their own context. Claudia, as we're sort of wrapping up this time together, which I, I really have loved and I so appreciate you coming, is there something that you you've given us so many important things to think about? Is there anything else you would like to to share with our audience about obesity or pharmacotherapy or anything? Yeah, you know, I would say that we are learning more and more about the disease of obesity, that it's a chronic condition that's relapsing, that it's usually progressive, that it has its innings in childhood, we are really at the cusp of a new era in terms of how we approach treatment, particularly with three, almost three new medications that are um, FDA approved for use in children, at least 12 and older. So we have Two that have been FDA approved this year, Saxenda um, and Qsimia, and Wagovi will be FDA approved likely in the beginning of 2023. And there are several others that are in the pipeline that show really, really promising, dramatic effects. Um, so I, I think the future is quite bright for our patients who are affected by this really devastating condition. So all of us as providers uh, need to sort of get ready for how we can 
effectively utilize these tools to help our patients. So because they are, um, they're going to be a mainstay of, of treatment. Claudia, thank you for that. And I think we all, you know, there may be some hurdles for us to get over in terms of our familiarity with these medications, but I think all of us who take care of children and children with obesity want to be able to offer our patients the best treatment possible for them. So, and I think that speaks to becoming familiar with these yeah. medications. Yes. And it does, it's time and it's an evolution. When you think back 20 years ago when pediatricians didn't prescribe Prozac or SSRIs, and now it's really commonplace too. And, you know, it will come with time. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And I think that, you know, if we just look out on the landscape of childhood, childhood and what's affecting children looks a lot different now than it did 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And and really, as a pediatrician, we want to step out and see what is happening to our children and how, you know, we can help them in the context in which they live now. So I so appreciate your time with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and expertise with us. Oh, my sincere pleasure. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Claudia Fox. I hope that you were able to take away some practical strategies on how to move obesity care and treatment forward in your practice. As a reminder, there are many resources to support your capacity building and CPG implementation efforts, which you can find on our website, www.ap.org slash obesity CPG. resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.